Today, some good news on COVID you won't hear in the mainstream media. Cuomo investigates Cuomo and finds that Cuomo did no wrongdoing, nothing to see here. And uh, Colin Kaepernick signs a deal with Disney. We've got a lot coming up, and it starts right now. We did it, guys. Welcome to the News and Why It Matters. I'm Sarah Gonzalez, today joined by a Blaze TV contributor, Eric July, back in the house. A double dose of Eric July. Of course, back this and week. Back. Yeah, thanks for being here. And also joined remotely by a fellow Blaze TV host, Steve Dace, host of The Steve Dace Show. Steve, thanks for being here. You bet. Thanks for scraping the bottom of the barrel, Sarah. <laughs> Please. Hardly. Hardly. Um, well, and actually, I felt like, Steve, you and also, Eric, you, you guys are perfect for today's coronavirus talk because I know you uh, you are two people who actually look at, you know, these pesky little things called facts and science when we're talking about this virus thing. So uh, minor details. Uh, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reported that the percentage of deaths in the United States has dipped low enough that the nation is at is um, at the epidemic threshold. So that means if we fall any lower, we will no longer call the coronavirus a pandemic uh, or an epidemic. I'm, excuse me. According to the CDC, they said that the percentage of deaths have declined for 10 weeks in a row, uh, noting that based on death certificate data, the percentage of deaths attributed to pneumonia, influenza or COVID-19 decreased from 9 percent during week 25 to 5.9 percent during week 26, representing a 10th week of declining percentage of deaths. Uh, the percentage is currently at the epidemic threshold, but will likely change as more death certificates are processed, particularly for recent weeks. However, we have seen this death decrease for a while now. But it's interesting because if you're listening to any channel on the mainstream media, even a lot of local news, you're not hearing this. You're not hearing that the deaths have declined. You're hearing cases are surging, cases are on the rise. Uh, you know, you're even hearing this, the story about what happened in Houston, where they're falsely saying that all of the CEOs are raising red alarms, uh, even though they have come out and said that's not the case. We're fine. We can handle the surge. So, Eric, um, let me let me go to you first. Are you are you surprised by this news? I find it to be good news. It's shocking to me well, that CNN's not reporting it. Right, there's a lot of good good news that they're not reporting. It's that they, <laughs> they refuse to actually report it because it seems to go against whatever narrative that they're trying to perpetuate regarding trying to still make this seem as if it's doom and gloom. This is why the post keeps shifting. This is why we go from um, flattening the curve to now we're worrying about deaths and now all, all we're worrying about is cases. Cases, cases. Look at all the positive cases. They refuse to even mention the fact that the deaths are dipping. And that's because it changes everything regarding what they've been saying. Now, why are the deaths dip dipping? I think that's a conversation worth uh, having. Is it because there are younger folks that are getting this and they're able to, you know, kind of shrug this off? Like what exactly is happening? I know there's been some things that have been up for questioning when it comes to like what they're considering the positive cases like CDC, they're considering antibody, they're, uh, like mm -hmm. results. They're putting those in the positive cases as they happen. So it's like that person could have had it three months ago, but they get lumped in with these more recent data. So it makes it seem like it's more than what it is. Also, which per CDC, don't take my word for anything. They're including things in those positive antibody cases 
that are other coronaviruses, such as co common colds and so forth, that may give you, let's say, a positive test. So all this is showing us is that this is not nearly as lethal as what they initially anticipated. It wasn't before and it's certainly not now. My question is, no matter what they call it, can they stop? Please stop holding the country hostage for all of this nonsense, which is essentially what they're doing. They're still holding the country hostage still because they keep finding these new things. It's like the guys don't want to get caught with the egg on their face. And it seems like that's the only reason why we continue to see that this can get, gets kicked down the road. So while I'm not necessarily surprised that the CDC came out and said that this is what it is because they have to at the end of the day report some of this data. But yeah, you're not going to catch more of the mainstream talking heads acknowledge this. And this is why they're focusing on what is going up. And that's the cases. And I'm like, so what? Yeah, the cases are going up. But let's talk about, you know, what, who are the type of individuals that are being hospitalized? Are the people dying and so forth? They don't even want to have that conversation. It's just cases, 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 as if we were supposed to assume that nobody was ever going to get the virus at all. Yeah. Context. What is it? Uh, Steve, what are your thoughts on the latest? Sarah, there's so many lies. I, 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 I mean, I could write um, a Tolstoy novel. And I would just be scratching the surface. I mean, on, on Thursday before the Independence Day weekend began at about 10 o'clock Eastern, CDC decided to dump on us antibody tests uh, that it had conducted in Utah, Florida, and Missouri. And it found that uh, 11 to 24 times more people had been infected with antibodies than the current testing had identified, which, of course, uh, dramatically lowers the IFR and the CFR or the lethality to make it easier, mortality for the virus. Uh, but here's the kicker. They actually conducted these. Uh, they've had this, these results since uh, late April, early May. And they are finally deciding to drop this on us. And if you think they just did pin the tail on the state and picked Utah, uh, and, and they don't have a, they don't know what the numbers are in New York, California, Arizona, Michigan, Illinois. You know, I mean, I, I, I've got, you know, a, a party that used to be an opposition party called the Republican Party to sell you. They've got all this data. They're sitting on it. Why? Uh, we, we, we've been able to do this math for the last couple of weeks since April 21st. That I'll correct their own, uh, their own rate. It's actually dropped 92% since we had the peak death uh, number on April the 21st. Deaths in this country have dropped 92%. Why are they just now telling us? Why are we just now getting... Uh, antibody results that are two months old. Did you know Florida's excess death number is still behind the 2018 flu season? Mm. Today's July the 7th. If you look at your home state there of Texas, you know, Hidalgo County is about 2.9% of your state's population. It has seen a 641% increase in cases. It is responsible for 20, more than 20% of the deaths in your state, despite being less than 3% of the population. Gee, I wonder what goes on and goes back and forth in Hidalgo County that could be leading to this. If you looked at California, Arizona, and Texas, you're going to see a massive spike in those border counties, cross-border traffic, way overrepresented compared to the states at large. Governor DeSantis in Florida said overwhelmingly migrant workers were responsible for the surge in new cases in his state. The amount of lies here are just ridiculous. And then we're told, hey, wait for two weeks. Well, the, the curve began upticking with new cases in this country on June the 10th. So here's the timetable. Typically, if you're going to have symptoms, it's five to seven days. And then deaths lag about three weeks after infection. So we are in the middle right now. I mean, that's that's tomorrow's going to be 28 days. 
Four weeks since the new case number began to tick up in this country. We should be in the middle of an increase in deaths right now, if that, given those lagging indicators, and we are not. And, and so a lot, of, I was speaking today with someone who is, is going to have a say in whether you get uh, college sports back this fall, all right? Ooh. And I was shocked, maybe I shouldn't have been, how much of this data this person had not yet seen. Mm. And this, is, this, of course, is malfeasance from the media that wants to shut the country down so, so Joe Biden's dementia can win. But at some point, you know, today the White House finally decided to go on offense about opening schools. It should have been doing stuff like this for the last two months. Absolutely. Whatever fake news it was up against with Russian collusion and, and, and Ukrainian phone calls, this is, has definitely the potential to end his presidency if we don't reopen the country. And he's got to use the bully pulpit, the most powerful platform in the on the planet, to push back against this, Sarah. I could not uh, could not agree with you more, Steve. And, you know, you bring up reopening schools, which really was on uh, it was on my list of things to bitch and complain about today, because I saw a story that was up at the blaze.com that was it said Florida order schools to reopen in the fall. But some districts are already leaning toward no. And from the article, uh, there was the Orange County Classroom Teachers Association, who, of course, had something to say about the move. But what struck me was that in their statement where they said, you know, we don't agree with this, we think it's irresponsible, they said the CTA will not support a reopening plan that could expose students, teachers, or their families to illness, hospitalization, or death. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, we have a bunch of people who are responsible for teaching our children who don't realize that every single day they are exposed to, to illness. They are potentially exposed to illness. Every single day they're walking into a classroom. I can assure you the kids are not germ-free. So what sort of society do they think that they have been living in this entire time that they have not already been potentially exposed to illness, hospitalization, or death anytime they leave their doorstep? Eric, it's just like this pervasive new idea that since before pre-coronavirus, we have been protected from all contagious disease. Where does this come from? It just goes to show how like manipulative, like when it comes to not just regular media, but social media as well, and how it like warps everybody's line of thinking. And we have these actions definitely that come by way of policy, by way of the state, that doesn't even seem to make sense when you put it in the context of just recent human history. What we're doing right now, pretty much uh, worldwide, doesn't make any sense. We've never done this. We've never done this. We're talking about something that has an infected fatality rate generally everywhere across the world of like point whatever, right? You're talking 99, over 99% of a survival rate and we've shut things down. People are refusing, uh, definitely of course the ones that get funding from the government in, in some way, shape, or form. They don't want to go uh, back to work. But more so, you, you, you speak to a great point, and that is we act as if viruses, sicknesses, illnesses have never happened. And it's so odd. They give you a ticker. They say this is the amount of people that are testing positive because we're doing this all this testing that we, again, we don't do for any other uh virus at all. We don't even do that for influenza or anything where people just get this random test or if you need to get tested or you want to get tested, you can. We've never done anything like that. But we have the, these this idea as if pre-COVID-19, nobody was ever exposed to sicknesses, even in the same way. The things that they're telling us to do, wear masks and all of these other things that they say, well, this would halt 
uh, the spread of this. Like, okay, would it halt the spread of these other viruses? If so, why were you not having these silly mandates before? Why were you not advocating? No, you're just doing what you, you what you're told, and you've unfortunately fell to this whole fear mongering thing. But none of it makes sense. None of it makes sense. You're completely right. You go in a class, definitely in a classroom, when you consider that's what kids do. They go around spreading viruses and all kinds of crazy stuff. You are absolutely. You probably guaranteed to get uh, some of those viruses if you are in a classroom. Why we act like this is brand new? I don't know. But they give you a ticker. They give you these cases. They have all of these studies and more so testing that's being done worldwide, nationwide. And they say, OK, they, you, you're paying attention to it because that's all the media is talking about. So you're paying attention to it and they're acting as if this is new. And this is why when you ask them, OK, why were we not doing this before? They can't ever give you an answer. How long are we supposed to do this? They can never give you an answer. Why? Because we've this. Well, this is what's going on with this virus. Sure, it may be not. Because the answer is November fourth. Mm. <laughs> That's true. That is very true. That's very true. It is. You know, more so. We're getting closer to the election, and maybe we'll, then we'll, depending on the results, that is, we'll see if we're going to get to the point where we can get back to some sort of normalcy. But none of it makes sense. None yeah. of it. Yeah, I, Steve, you're absolutely right. I can I can see it now. November 4th, all of a sudden the the uh, the pandemic is gone. The epidemic is gone. We have nothing to worry about. But do you think are these teachers really this just uneducated on the matter? Or is this some sort of a bargaining chip for a teacher's union that they just want, you know, more pay or something at the end of the day? Teacher unions are notorious political animals. I think it's all politics. No other no other free industrialized nation on earth is doing this. Over 20 of them already sent their kids back to school. Mm. You've been going back to school in Wuhan, China since the first week of May. We are literally, guys, I'm just telling you, we're the only nation, only free industrialized nation on earth doing this to each other, having these conversations. And so Occam's razor comes into effect. You have to ask yourself then, what's the rationale? What's the explanation? What's the most obvious explanation for what incentivizes us to kneecap ourselves when they're not doing that anywhere? They're not doing it in Denmark, Sweden, Switzerland, Germany, Spain, Italy. They're not doing it. Israel had the worst lockdown in the world for about a month and then became Sweden in about 30 days when they started looking at the data. Mm. Why are we still doing this? The only event we have going on that incentivizes us to kneecap our way of life when no other industrialized free country is doing this to themselves is we're having an orange man bad election. And I, I don't want that to be the answer. I hate that kind of low lying fruit, but tell me what else we have. What, what else is going on that incentivizes understand where we're at. The conservatives are arguing to put the kids back in the government schools <laughs> and the progressive leftists are like, no, leave them at home. <laughs> How did we get to this place? OK, it doesn't make any sense. And so it must be the election is why we're not looking at science, not looking at data that every other nation on Earth has already looked at and made these determinations. Wow. And you talk about a light bulb moment. I didn't even yeah. think about it that way. Steve, you just said it. I was like, oh, crap, you're right. That yeah. is really crazy. Uh, all right. We've got a lot more to get into. First, we want to thank our sponsor, uh, Real Estate Agents I Trust. 
Is that? No, I'm sorry. Home title lock. Uh, trying to sell your home. Let me just tell you, I'm supposed to close on my home uh, Thursday. Trying to sell your home is really hard. And uh, we still are like on pins and needles making sure that it actually closes on Thursday. And we even have a really, really, really good real estate agent. I can imagine all of the other real estate agents out there. You know, you go to Google and you type in real estate agent in my area and there's 10 million of them that pop up. Maybe they're like a part-time plumber. You don't even know that. There are so many people who are wannabe real estate agents these days. That's why you have to go somewhere where you can trust, someplace where the real estate agents have already been vetted for you. And that is Real Estate Agents I Trust. It is Glenn's company. And uh, when you have the kind of agents who work with Glenn working for you, you can rest assured that you are going to be in the hands of a very capable team of people who will see your selling process through from the day you interview them until the moment you sign on the dotted line. Uh, The same goes for buying a home. When you choose your agent through Real Estate Agents I Trust, uh, you've just partnered yourself to a competitive winning machine, a team of people who are going to see it through for you. Real Estate Agents I Trust, I mean, does, do I need to say more? It's kind of all in the name there. Real Estate Agents I Trust. You've got to be able to uh, to go to someone you can trust with one of the biggest investments you're ever going to make. You can go to realestateagentsitrust.com. It'll take you two minutes. You fill out a very simple form. You usually have someone that gets back to you, a real estate agent in your area, within like 10 minutes. And I did it. Okay, I, I trust me. I did it. I went through the process. I went to realestateagentsitrust.com. I submitted my information, and it was at seven o'clock at night, and we still had someone call within ten minutes. It was a real estate agent in our area who uh, we knew we could trust to sell our home for the best value. You got to go to realestateagentsitrust.com. That is realestateagentsitrust.com. Back in a minute. All right, next up, the uh, the Cuomo administration. Don't worry, you guys. They investigated the Cuomo administration and found that uh, there was no wrongdoing with the Cuomo administration in New York. So a special investigation, of course, commissioned by New York Governor Andrew Cuomo's administration, claims that it was health care workers uh, who cared for the patients in the nursing facilities where we saw so many deaths in New York. It was the health care workers who were to blame for hundreds of COVID-19 deaths and not the governor's own policy that forced all of these facilities to accept coronavirus positive patients. Now, uh, of course, New York hospitals released more than 6,300 recovering coronavirus patients into nursing homes during the height of the pandemic um, under a a controversial, now scrapped, of course, policy. Um, And still, the office says even though Andrew Cuomo released all of these patients back into these nursing home facilities. It was not the policy that caused all of these deaths. It was actually uh, all of the healthcare workers, the positive staff and visitors who unknowingly infected the vulnerable population of nursing home patients. This was in a 33-page review that was released yesterday. Um, I I, I, for one, find it shocking, Eric, that Andrew Cuomo's special investigation found that Andrew Cuomo did no uh, no wrongdoing. Yeah, of course. It's generally what happens when we talk about government. But it reminds me a lot of the the protest deal where you basically had a bunch of people validate this nonsensical idea that they had nothing to do with the spread, though they had been doing the opposite of what they had been lecturing us when it comes to social distancing and so forth. What happened here 
was a crime on his behalf. It was a crime on his administration's behalf. But it shows that, and on a serious note, I want people to pay attention that this issue, when we talk about the spread of this virus, it's not merely a scientific issue, unless you consider economics a science, which I should understand that, but it's also an economic issue. And this is why we can't just be held hostage by what a couple of scientists that work for the government say. This was purely an economic issue. And what I say, what I, what I mean when I say that is that there are, let's say New York, for example, the millions of people that live in New York, we knew before the virus had even got here that there was a vulnerable population of people that would more than likely have a severe reaction when it came to these disease. Mm -hmm. Obviously, those people tend to be in the nursing homes, right? That's what the data said. The data said that long before it even got here. You can look at the Chinese numbers, you can look at the South Korean numbers, you can look at the Italian numbers. They all said the same thing before it even had a breakout. So if you had been allocating all your time, all of your effort, all of your resources towards protecting the most vulnerable, things like this don't happen. But what did happen, because people want to use this as this sort of political play, make themselves out to be heroes, they tried to treat the entire population like they were 95 years old. And that's not what they were. And it wasn't just New York that had, that had this issue. Other spots had this hero issue. We just know that with the whole idea that you had to basically accept these patients that had been recovered, had already knowingly tested positive uh, for the for these. And yet we still had this breakout um, within the the healthcare, excuse me, the the nursing homes of people getting sick and dying from this virus. But that's what happens when you don't pay attention to the people that sh you should have been paying attention to. You can't save everybody, that's the reality. So who's the most vulnerable people? Hmm, it seems like we have this box where we keep them all at, and that's the nursing homes. That should have been their entire effort placed right there. Instead, what they did, many other states did, they tried to focus on us all and treat us all like we were the same. All of you guys got a lockdown. Every single business, no matter what age, no matter what health demographic, even though we knew who was most vulnerable. So, yes, it's a crime on his behalf and that he had a policy uh, as such, but it's not just on him. The other states did a similar thing and it makes no sense. But this is why you can't just hold everybody hostage to something like that, because uh, they can be the smartest scientists in the world. They, that doesn't mean they know a lick about allocation of resources. That doesn't mean they understand a lick about scarcity or why we economize in the first place to avoid situations like this. This is why you don't let them hold us hostage. Yeah, Steve, uh, you know, it's not just it's it's this, but it's also uh, the media who is demonizing Texas, Florida, the places who are now seeing these COVID-19 surges and they're unwilling to look at New York and what happened in New York and why they had such a quick surge. New York uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo, he is he's kind of hailed as a hero these days in the mainstream media. Now he releases this investigation. I guess he's allowed to get away with literal murder. <laughs> well, Sarah, you know, I, I just go by data. I, I like objectivity. I, I like to know cut and dried what's true and what's not. So I'll, I'll just respond with the actual data. The total amount of deaths as we sit here today on July 7th, the total amount of deaths in Texas, Arizona, and Florida would equal, when you combine them all, about one-third of the amount of death New York State saw. And the population of those three states is triple the population of New York State. That's, that's, that's one piece of data. Secondly, here's another. 43% of all deaths in America have occurred in nursing homes. Uh, coronavirus deaths have occurred in nursing homes. Only 0.6% of the American population lives 
in nursing homes, mm. which means if you're in the 99.4% of the population of America that lives outside of a nursing home, your IFR, CFR, et, et cetera, for this virus goes down demonstrably. Also, what we know is that the death in the, the deaths in the six states, New York was not the only one to issue this order. Uh, there were six states that did it, five under Democratic governors, one Massachusetts under a Republican governor. If you look at the death toll in those six states compared to the rest of the country, it's by far the majority of deaths in America just so happened to coincide with the six states, including New York, that issued these orders for nursing homes. And then finally, what I find fascinating is that pretty much since the beginning of May, a majority of deaths in America have occurred in nursing homes. And yet, New York State, when a bunch of states around them are saying 50, 70, 80% of our deaths have occurred in nursing homes, New York State, which was the pioneer in, in reinfecting its nursing homes with the COVID infected, and did so with more than 6,000 such humans. New York State is claiming only 14% of its deaths occurred in nursing homes. Now, how do you explain when 43% of all deaths happened in nursing homes. New York State led the nation in deaths, so much so that three other states with a total population of about 60 million people are only still one-third of its total deaths. And yet, it is claiming only 14% of its deaths are in nursing homes. How does that math add up? I can answer for you. It does not. <laughs> okay, good. Because I was about to go. I was like, well, I, I don't know how that math adds up. So thank you for clearing that up, Steve. Uh, all right. We've got a lot more to get into, including Colin Kaepernick signing a deal with Disney for a docuseries about his very, very oppressive, very hard life. First, we want to thank our sponsor, new sponsor of the show, Car Shield. So computer systems and cars, everyone has in there. They're the new normal. Uh, you've got electronically controlled tr transmissions touchscreen displays, a bunch of sensors that you don't even realize exist in your car, but they do. But you cannot fix any of these new features yourself. So something breaks and you don't realize there's this tiny little sensor that could actually cost you a ton of money to fix. Now is not the time for expensive repairs. I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, there are a bunch of people out of jobs, getting paid less right now because of everything that's going on. That is a great reason to have CarShield. CarShield has affordable protection plans that can save you thousands for a covered repair, including computers, GPS, electronics, so much more. CarShield understands that payment flexibility is a must, especially right now. Monthly plans can be customized to your needs with rates as low as $99 a month. There's no long-term contracts. There's no commitments. CarShield gives you an option that others will not. You can also just take it to your favorite mechanic. If you have a favorite mechanic, you can take your car there or to the dealership to do the work and CarShield takes care of the rest for you. It really is that simple. They also offer, offer complimentary 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is being fixed. They are the real deal and they have helped over 1 million customers. You can drive with confidence with CarShield. You can go to 800 if you want to call, if you still use those phones for its intended purpose, which originally was calling. You can call 800-CAR-6000 and mention promo code Y, that's W-H-Y, or you can visit carshield.com Use code Y to save 10% right now. That is carshield.com, promo code Y, save you 10%. We'll be back in a minute.
Former San Francisco 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick announced today that he has inked a deal with Disney ESPN to make a uh, docuseries about his own life. And uh, it will be, of course, a series of social justice films. He said, I am excited for this partnership with Disney across all of its platforms to elevate black and brown directors, creators, storytellers and producers. I look forward to sharing culturally impactful and inspiring projects. Uh, Now, in case those of you, uh, you know, maybe you don't watch the NFL or you've been living under a rock. Kaepernick actually left the NFL in 2017 after turning down a one year contract with the 49ers. And that was, of course, um, after he took a knee. Oh, but wait. But the taking a knee was after, of course, he was benched because he wasn't a good quarterback. But I digress. Minor details. Uh, The project will include input. (laughs) So happy to hear this from Jamel Hill, a fellow racial justice advocate and former ESPN employee who was terminated from the network following comments she made about President Trump. Uh, And when you're fired from ESPN about making comments about President Trump, you know it's really bad because ESPN is just kind of like the black hole of uh, leftist politics right now. So, um, Eric, it's it's interesting because I just heard from Colin Kaepernick just over this 4th of July. He seems to talk a lot about how oppressed uh, black Americans are and um, all I see from him is just good news. I mean, he's rich. He uh, He's just signed this deal with Disney ESPN. It doesn't really feel like he is that oppressed. No, he's not at all. Let's be 100 about that um, half black guy by the name of Colin Kaepernick, who is just as much white as he is black, by the way, um, is not oppressed. But this is what it is. It's race hustling, man. This is what these types do. They he's been he's probably made more money off the field. I can't confirm that, but certainly his deal with Nike. He, he's was, yes, like yeah. he's making a lot of money that has absolutely nothing to do with him actually playing on the field. And I'm not knocking anybody getting his, getting their money or anything like that. And I can almost guarantee, from what I had read on what it is that they're trying to do with this partnership or whatever with with Disney, uh, it's going to be the same old nonsense. It's not going to be any sort of diversity in terms of thought. I can I can imagine no matter how many black and brown voices that he claims to be linking up with and assisting, I'm willing to bet I'm not going to be one of those guys that's going to get any sort of opportunity uh, to to have my voice heard in this regards. But no, this is what race hustling is. This is what these types do. They get in these positions of power uh, and they can make a lot of money off of. But this was always what this little movement was about. I kept trying to tell people they acted like it wasn't the case. These folks want access to these people's resources particularly folks that they feel are white folk. They want access to those resources. All that stuff that they talk about acting as if they're anti-capitalist and all, that's just nonsense. What they generally want is access to those resources. They want access to that pool of money and want to be a part of it. They just use this form of racial guilting more so to get access to those said resources. I said this on the show a long time ago, that this is always what this movement sort of turned into was that it was a movement about begging to be accepted, acknowledged, and more so begging for access to these guys' resources. It was never about uh, creating their own or anything like that. If they felt they were being kept out, creating their own, that was never what it was about. It was like, you guys have stuff, and we want to guilt trip you in to giving us access to those things. I would argue that it'd be way more powerful if Kaepernick and those types did their own thing instead of going through those big mega corporate entities, the Disney's of the world, which control so much instead of going through them. It would have been uh, to me more conducive if they actually pulled their resources within their own sort of circle pool of rich 
athletes and entertainers and so forth and say, all right, we're going to create our own little thing and do that. But no, it's just, hey, let's get work, go work with Disney and have them funnel our sort of message and everything of that nature. So this is race hustling one on one. He's not the first and he's certainly not going to be the last one. Him or Jamil Hill, they won't be the last ones to do this. Yeah. Steve, the uh, senior vice president of ESPN said in a statement that they want to call attention to the issues of racial injustice that America is wrestling with and do that in new, compelling ways. Your thoughts? I'm thinking you might have a few. You know, we played a video on my show the other day of a white girl, uh, a, a, an Antifa white girl lecturing a black police officer <laughs> that he didn't understand what racism was. And, I, and I, I was greatly inspired by that. So I would like to now lecture Eric on, <laughs> on what oppression really is and what racism really is. And and I and I think you, you have to look no further than Colin Kaepernick's own life. I mean, it started when he was four months old. And unfortunately, a, a white Christian family uh, had the unmitigated audacity uh, to take uh, this, uh, you know, regressive command to love your neighbor as you love yourself and adopt this child into their home. Mm -hmm. From there, they impose their white heteronormative, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, dominance over him throughout <laughs> his childhood as he became a stellar athlete. And 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 student. Unfortunately, though, he wasn't getting recognized by college uh, colleges that were recruiting for quarterbacks. They didn't think he could play. And so his white high school coach, again, uh, stepping on the throat uh, of his black liberation, uh, took his film and peddled it all over the country to college coaches to try to get him signed, finally getting the attention of a future Hall of Fame football coach at the University of Nevada by the name of Chris Alt, himself, of course, clearly a racist, who decided to create an entire offense called the Pistol Offense in order to take advantage of Colin Kaepernick's unique skill set and turn him into a second-round draft choice in the NFL. Of course, he was drafted there by a white coach by the name of Jim Harbaugh, who everyone knows from his playing days and going back to when he was, of course, a coach in the NFL as well, uh, was a virulent racist. I mean, that's how he earned the nickname Adolf Rupp. And when he drafted Colin Kaepernick, much higher than anybody thought he would be selected, after, after about a year of making him ride the bench just because he was half black, he then made the decision that exposed further his latent racism when he benched the white quarterback, Alex Smith, the number one overall draft pick in the NFL draft, he benched him in the middle of the season and inserted an, an unproven half-black player drafted in the second round named Colin Kaepernick instead. And then, despite holding him back, of course, the entire time, uh, rode him all the way to the Super Bowl where they were just seconds away from actually winning the championship. I think when you now look at the fact his, uh, his net worth is over $20 million, he's now been signed by arguably the most beloved corporation on the planet Earth, Disney. There is no end to the systemic racism that Colin Kaepernick has suffered low these many years since he was four months old. And, and if that story doesn't move you, if that story doesn't show you indeed what black America is up against, then at this point, I mean, you might as well just go ahead and put a noose around your own neck. All right. Well, 
There you have it from Steve Dace. Fantastic. Uh, Absolutely fantastic. We've got a lot more coming up. First, we want to thank our sponsor. This time, it really is Home Title Lock. It is. They've got the right one in for me now. Um, So working from home is actually, a lot of you are working from home right now. You don't realize that's driving up the worst type of cybercrime that exists, and that is home title theft. Uh, Think about all that you're doing from home right now. You're working. You're doing your banking from home, video conferences. You're doing meal deliveries. Uh, Cyber criminals are targeting our homes right now, and they want the money they can get by taking out loans against your house. Yeah, you don't realize that that's possible. You think that you have your house secure. You set your alarm when you leave your house, and you think, well, our home is secure. It's not, actually. Home Title Lock is how you protect your home from the cyber thieves. Uh, Your home's legal title is stored online, where the cyber thieves can easily find it. They'll forge your signature, saying that they sold you sold your home to them, and then they can take out the loans on your home and leave you in debt. You know, you, you've got this all of this mortgage, all of this equity that you are building in your house. You may be using it as a retirement nest egg. You've got to make sure to protect yourself. There's no bank. There's no insurance program. There's no identity theft service that protects you. Home Title Lock does. They will put a virtual barrier around your home's title. You've got to protect your home. You can go to HomeTitleLock.com, register your address to see if you're already a victim. You're not going to know it until it's too late unless you go there and enter your address. Use code Y, that's W-H-Y, for 30 free days of protection in case you've got this, you've got a crisis on your hands. They will help you through the crisis, 30 days for free. You can go to HomeTitleLock.com. That is HomeTitleLock.com, promo code Y. Actress Halle Berry is uh, one of the latest to bow to the woke mob. She was uh, she was considering a role of a transgender man uh, in a movie that is shortly to be filmed, and she has now stepped down from the role after online backlash. Now, this backlash started after uh, Halle Berry was interviewing about the potential project and, I guess, misgendered the character a couple times during the interview. So it is a woman, a biological woman, who I know, I, t- I say this every time, we need a freaking flow chart to explain this because it is so confusing in 20. 20- 2020, she's supposed to play a biological woman who transitioned into a man. And during Halle Berry's interview, she said she had the audacity, I should say, to make the statement, who this woman was is so interesting to me, and that will probably be my next project. Well, you can't say that it was a woman, even though it was a biological woman, because this is a transgender man. So she got hit with online backlash. Uh, She was tweeted at by Disclosure Documentary, which apparently has some sort of clout in the industry. I've never heard of it. They said, Hi, Halle Berry. We heard you're considering playing a trans man in your next project. We ask that you please watch Disclosure Doc on Netflix. Wow, no conflict of interest there. First, to understand how cis actors like yourself acting in the roles has major cultural consequences off screen. Halle Berry, of course, uh, caved. She tweeted out, Over the weekend, I had the opportunity to discuss my consideration of an upcoming role as a transgender man, and I'd like to apologize for those remarks. As a cisgender woman, I now understand Understand that I should not have considered this role and that the transgender community should undeniably have the opportunity to tell their own stories. Yada, yada, yada. She goes on. Um, I'm just wondering, though. Eric, when we have all of these movies that exist about uh, murderers, about pedophiles, about things of that nature, are like are, are we actually are the people who play who play them? Are these actual murderers? Are we not to accept anything else? Because I thought that the entire point of being an actor was that you were freaking playing a part of someone who you are not. 
I wonder what the context of like the role is. Like, is she playing? Like, does she transition within the movie? Like, or like, because if she, if she's a woman, I mean, at at some point in the movie, wouldn't you need a actual woman to play her? I mean, I, you know, I, I can't keep Hollywood makeup, Hollywood, yeah, Hollywood, yeah, Hollywood so, magic. That's true. So I, I don't exactly know what the what what the context of the movie. But here's my actual take on this, believe it or not. OK, so be it. I'm a guy. I'm a comic book guy. Right. Stop tokenizing the damn characters. If that's the case, if we're going to keep to the logic that the characters need to be played by characters that benefit them. Why is Valkyrie black in the in, 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 in you know, which is based off Norse mythology, which I don't know if you can even get whiter than that. Uh, <laughs> why is Valkyrie black by playing played by Tessa Thompson? Why do we have these other token? I mean, you can go. I got mountains of videos talking about this topic because I see it so often where you're getting basically they're crossing over into the live action and you have black Iris West. You have all. All these black versions of characters that have historically been white why don't we keep the same energy there now that night might not work the way they want that want it to work because let's be real Halle Berry very you know you know who Halle Berry is mm-hmm. she has that mm-hmm. start maybe not as much as before but she she does have some sort of star power first power. black woman to win an Oscar absolutely for so people may go see it because of of, of her mm-hmm. look if you want to take that chance and you want to give those roles to these people, fine, whatever. But when people don't go watch the watch it, yeah. don't come griping about, oh, you guys are transphobic and all of that sort of stuff. I need you to keep that energy up. But more so, I want to keep that energy up when we talk about these other things like I've been talking about for years when it comes to crossing over into these other these other characters crossing over into live action depictions. And then they get played by some you know black person or even a woman or something like that in a classically, let's say, male role. I want to keep that same energy, but uh, they won't. They yeah. won't. See, we've got about uh, a minute here. I-, I thought that acting was supposed to be, you know, like acting to be someone that you're not. What am I missing? What I'm what I'm missing is whose dumbass idea was it to take the exquisite fineness of Halle Berry and turn her into a dude. That person should be fired, have his eyes plucked out and deported. Simple enough. I mean, really, I don't know how you add on to that. That that, that speaks for for itself. Uh, All right. We will be back in just a minute. Simple enough. I love it. Yesterday's poll was who is more divisive? Uh, The options, I'm just before I give the answer, because Eric, you were here, but I'm curious to get Steve's quick thoughts. The options were the media, President Trump or the Democrats. Who is more divisive? Steve, I said, I don't know how you differentiate between the media and the Democrats. (laughs) What do you think? Nice. I I think the answer is the media. I I think because uh, they feed off the division in only self-destructive ways. You view Trump as a divisive figure or the Democratic Party as a divisive figure. There's at least a political means to an end there that will benefit somebody. Uh, these people are just nihilists who'd like to tear down stained glass windows. Mm, well, uh, the the audience agreed with you. The majority of the audience agreed with you. They said we got 70 percent who said it is the media followed by 23 percent, 23.5, who said the Democrats and President Trump, 6.5, because we got to have a couple trolls in this very scientific Blaze TV poll that we give you every day. Uh, today's poll 
is should schools reopen this fall or stick to online classes? Now, I'm just going to go out on a limb and guess that any of you who are saying that schools should stick to online classes probably don't have kids. Because if you have kids, you are like, like Steve, I'm going to, I think when I drop my son off the first day of school, I'm not even going to stop in carpool line. Like I'm just going to keep going at a very slow rate and tell him to tuck and roll and hurry the hell in the front door. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> You're with me, right? I think, um, now I know how you guys felt last segment. I think I don't know how to follow that. So, okay. <laughs> That's my yeah. Okay, yes. That, that's my reply. Okay. Steve, Steve agrees. That's that's what I'm getting from that is that he agrees. Uh, let us know what you think. You can go to the Blazes Twitter. That is at the Blaze. Let us know should schools reopen this fall, or are you completely wrong and you have a different opinion than that? Don't forget you can catch the Steve Dace Show every day Monday through Friday, following immediately following Glenn Beck. It is 11 a.m. Central to 1 p.m. Central. Thank you so much for being here, Steve. And uh, Eric as well. You can catch him on YouTube. I always love to say this. It's Young Ripper on YouTube. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the news and why it matters. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you'd like to watch the program, become a Blaze TV subscriber and start your free trial now at blazetv.com.